So do you play many video games on your phone, on your computer, maybe on an actual console, a PlayStation or a Nintendo? In the Smithsonian's Museum of American History in Washington, D.C., there's an exhibit called American Enterprise. And in a section of the exhibit that's dedicated to mobile technology, it shows different early cell phones, PDAs, pagers, there's a Walkman, there's an early GPS, and there's a video game device. Any guess as to which gaming device was so historically important that the Smithsonian has it in their museum? Stay with me. I'll tell you what it is coming up next. Helping you grow deeper on your spiritual journey. Welcome to The Inner Life with Josh Raymond. Welcome to the start of another week here, and I hope you are well. Thanks for joining us for this hour of spiritual direction on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. So if you were listening closely, listening closely to my question about which video game device is in the Smithsonian's American Enterprise exhibit, you might have heard me say that it's in a section dedicated to mobile technology. That means it's not just a video game console that sits there plugged into a television. None of those early Atari or Nintendo or Sega consoles. Now, this device, it was released in the U.S. on the last day of July, July 31st, in 1989. Before this, there were electronic handheld video games, but they were kind of one-offs. You know, they just only played one game per device. You had to buy another device if you wanted to play a new game. Couldn't play that variety of different games, different strategies and options. But then Nintendo, they released the Game Boy. And it only took a few weeks before they'd already sold more than a million units just here in the U.S. alone. The Game Boy, it took over the market. Other competitors, they tried to release their own versions of a handheld mobile video game system. But none of them could catch up with the Game Boy. And there was one other thing that changed forever when the Game Boy was introduced here in the U.S. Before that, not many people were familiar with a game called Tetris. Tetris was a game that had been imported from the Soviet Union. Everybody knows about it now, but at that time, it was mainly only found in arcades or on certain home computers. It wasn't a regular game for video game consoles. But Nintendo, they included Tetris as the free game cartridge that was packaged with your purchase of a Game Boy. And all of a sudden, everybody's playing Tetris. Or the people who weren't playing it, they wanted to play it because they saw everybody else addicted to that block-stacking game and the, uh, the music that went along with it. Well, today, the current Nintendo console that you can buy brand new, the Nintendo Switch, it can be plugged into a television, but its main design is to be mobile to be played as a handheld video game device. And it all started back in 1989 with the Game Boy. In 1989, Nintendo forever changed the direction of video gaming and how we play video games. Maybe you can think of other moments like that. A certain moment that changes everything that follows. When it comes to our faith, of course we can think of many of those. I think one of those key moments is when Jesus teaches his followers how to pray. And for those who would have been listening to Jesus speak at that moment in time, they might not have realized how important this really was. Because at that moment, Jesus gave the church 
the prayer we know as the Our Father. He changed the way that we approach God, the way we think about God, how we address him as Our Father. And then each subsequent phrase in this prayer, it has such significance, such depth and meaning. Well, today here we want to spend this hour of the inner life looking at what we really are saying when we pray the Our Father. And when we understand what we're saying, what we're actually praying, how will that allow us to live our lives differently? How will we know God better? Joining us is our spiritual director today, Father Eric Nielsen is back with us here, and Father Eric is a priest in the Diocese of Madison. He's the pastor of the St. Paul University Catholic Center on the campus of the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Father Eric, welcome back to The Inner Life. Hello, Josh. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, well, to the I, I am too. I'm looking forward to the conversation. And... You know, I I said it's called the Our Father. Um, It's known also as the Lord's Prayer. The version that we most commonly use, it's found in the sixth chapter of St. Matthew's Gospel, where Jesus, he's actually in the middle of his Sermon on the Mount. And it's almost smack in the middle of that, that he teaches us how to pray with the words of the Our Father. But he also gives a little bit of preliminary instructions there. And I thought it might be good to go into that and just take a look at what is Jesus telling us before he actually teaches us how to pray, what are some of those different aspects that he says here? You know, remember these key points before you enter into prayer. He says things like, we're not supposed to uh, make a show of ourselves, go into your inner room or your inner closet, close the door, pray to your Father in secret, Um, do not... Babylon, like the pagans, the you know what people will call vain repetition. So there's a lot of different things that we're talking about here. Um, so maybe we can start by talking about praying in private. How how should we understand what Jesus is saying here? Because there's lots of times, especially in the church, where we aren't praying in private. Yeah. So the the thing is, what um, our Lord is referring to there is the practice of people praying for things other than giving worship to God or developing a relationship with God. And so he starts, that chapter starts with, um, be careful not to practice your righteousness in in front of others to be seen by them. So there's nothing wrong with people seeing us praying or, um, you know, obviously, you know, the church, you you see a priest pray all the time when when you go to Mass on Sunday. So there's nothing, and your kids should see you pray. But the point that our Lord is pointing out is if people of that age, and even to this day, I want to be seen praying. I, you know, if, ever, if, if the thing is to be, it's like right now, the cool thing is to be woke. So people, you know, they do all this virtue signaling by putting, you know, BLM signs on their, on their windows. You know, I want to be seen as doing the right thing because I want people to see me as a good person. And so at that day, people would pray um, in front of others in order to be seen as just as a good person. And so I'm, I'm saying these prayers just to be seen. And our Lord points out, well, if that's what you're doing, you, you've already received your reward. You're not going to get reward from heaven because your rewards are going to be given to you. you. People see you now as being this, this good person who prays. Um, the other thing, too, is in that pagan world that the that Israel existed amongst, um, obviously the Israelites weren't pagans, but they still existed in kind of a pagan milieu. And it's and even in this day, it's easy to slide into that, where we kind of have a quid pro quo type of relationship with God. You know, God, I, 
I'm, I'm going to offer this sacrifice, burn this incense, and then you're obligated to give me this thing that I want because I gave you this thing that you want. And sometimes we can, you know, just say prayers over and over and over again, just thinking, okay, if I, if I say this prayer enough, then God will have to give me what I desire. And we miss the fact that we're in a covenantal relationship with God and that we trust Him. And we know in the end He's going to give us, He already knows what we need. And so our prayer is more of a prayer for our hearts to be more attuned to God and to show God our sincerity and the desire for us to be in a position where we can receive what God wants um, wants to give us. Well, and so that's what it means to be paid in secret. Yeah, even as you're you're saying that too, you say God knows what we need, and uh, that that's the very last thing Jesus says right before teaching us how to pray. That might be a good thing to talk about too. Your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. It kind of raises the question, well, if God knows what I need, why go through the formality of asking? Why doesn't God just give me what I need? Yeah, I mean, we, that, that's actually pretty common sense right there, you know. If you wanted to um, uh, help your son, you know, do something, and you know what he needs, and you watch him fall on his face, I mean, how often has a, somebody, you, you probably even said this to your wife, well, if you would have asked me, I would have helped you, right? Yeah, right. Because, <laughs> you know, we, we get into our self-sufficiency mode and we think, I don't need you, God. I can do this all on our own. And so we forget the fact, no, I do need God. So the reason we need to pray to God is just to deepen the understanding that I cannot do it on my own. I do need God's help. So our prayer is in order to change us. It's not to change to change God. It's to open up our heart more to his assistance and to develop a stronger relationship with God as a loving father. Yeah, no, I, I, I like the example. I, I would say even more than my wife, though, my kids might be uh, more along those lines of what you're talking about. Because if I have, you know, a five-year-old, a four-year-old, five-year-old, six-year-old that has a full gallon of milk in a carton, and they're trying to pour out a glass for themselves. And, you know, it's very heavy for their tiny little hands, tiny little arms. I might sit back and watch and just allow them to keep on trying to pour that, knowing that there's going to possibly be spilled milk, that they might make a mess, they might knock over their glass because they can't control the weight of that gallon jug of milk. But I'm not going to take over for them because they can learn from that, but they can also learn out of that since I'm right there. Well, you can ask for help. And I, I, I think that's that's where I, I guess I see myself in, you know, my relationship with God is God's going to be there knowing, of course, that he could help and he could make things better, but he still wants me to take the initiative to ask for that help. Yeah, absolutely. He wants us to acknowledge our dependence on him. Yeah. All right. So vain repetition, let's talk about that here, because that's one that uh, quite commonly uh, non-Catholic Christians will make an accusation that we really fall into this as Catholics, especially when you look at things like praying some sort of a devotion where you are repeating a prayer. The rosary, probably the most famous. You know, you're praying uh, Hail Marys again and again and again. We pray the Our Father multiple times during the rosary. Uh, the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, that could be another one. There, there's many prayers like that. So what's the difference between 
what Jesus is saying here, do not babble like the pagans who think they will be heard because of their many words. What's the difference between that and what we are doing in our prayer devotions as Catholics? Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the key thing is a qualifier, you know, vain repetition. You know, there's nothing wrong with repetition. You know, even the seraphim, you know, it says in Revelations, you know, repeat endlessly, holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, right? And so if the angels can do that, um, we can certainly repeat some prayers. So, you know, it's funny, too, when Protestants say, um, you know, it's just vain repetition, but you, when you ever go to a praise and worship service, you know, they got that one song that goes for 20 minutes and they're repeating the same line over and over again. So um, the, the goal there is not to have vain repetition. And so, in other words, you're not really thinking of our Lord. You're not really putting our heart into your prayer. You, your mind is not attuned to the God that you're addressing. All you're simply doing is repeating this over and over again, um, just thinking that that's going to, you know, bring you what you want. And so that's um, that's what we're shying away from. And of course, you know, that the Hail Mary could be vain repetition if you want it, if you let it slide into that, right? Um, I mean, very few people do, but you know, that that is kind of, if you will, a um, you know, a, a a challenge to keep prayer from being vain repetition. Um, you know, sometimes people come to me and say, well, you know, my prayer is just a checklist. And I'll say, well, God bless that checklist, because in order to make it more than a checklist, it has to start as a checklist. So, you know, your prayer life isn't supposed to be just a checklist. You're getting stuff done in order to get it over with. You know, you're supposed to have your heart into it. But um, at the same time, you know, it's, it's like if you went shopping for a birthday party, um, you know, of somebody you really loved and you went to the supermarket to buy the stuff for the party, you would have a checklist and you would be a checklist. You'd put your heart and a lot of love in and you'd have a checklist because you didn't want to forget anything. And that's hopefully how we come to our Lord with our prayers for the day. We have a little checklist, not because we feel like we just have to get it done and out of the way and not that it's vain repetition. It's just that we want to make sure we get it all in mm. because out of our love. Uh, let's look at what we actually are praying in the Our Father. Before we jump into, you know, the different petitions line by line here, I think it's also important to point out that this entire, uh, the, the, the last section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church is dedicated to going through, examining, explaining the Our Father. And that's a great place I think someone can turn if they, you know, we're, we're going to be limited by what we can talk about in this hour, but there's so much richness there in what the Catechism says on prayer, and especially the Our Father. Um, that's that's the first place I think of. Any other resources you might point somebody to if they want to really kind of uh, delve deeper into being able to meditate and contemplate upon the different uh, lines and petitions in the Our Father? Well, um, there's a great book by St. Teresa of Avila called um, The Way of Perfection. You know, whenever people talk about St. Teresa of Avila, they're always talking about the sons, uh, the uh, interior castle, which is a beautiful book. And, you know, you read it and it's interesting and around, you know, somewhere along, you just she's talking about things, you just have no clue what she's talking about because it's, you'd have to be a mystic to understand it. But The Way of Perfection was a simple um, little treatise that she wrote for her nuns to help them pray, and it ends with a beautiful little um, commentary on the Our Father. And so for all of our listeners out there, you know, once you've read a couple of Jacques Flique books on prayer and you've been praying for a few years, I would say The Way of Perfection is a book that you must read just as a way of uh, deepening your prayer life. But it's, the first half is 
more or less how to get along civilly with your fellow sisters in the convent, which is you know very helpful for us and along the lines of charity. But and, but she has a lot of good little tidbits on prayer in that book. Wonderful. Well, the other thing that you know, speaking of a saint helping us understand how to pray. Um, one other thing that I I really appreciated, Nick had brought this to my attention. St. Augustine writes about the Our Father, and he says, We ask not only for all the things that we can rightly desire when we pray the Our Father, but also in the sequence that they should be desired. And that really struck me, you know, that, that there is, of course, you know, Jesus would have a very uh, definite reason for the way that we pray, in a certain order, but can you maybe talk about how we should have our desires ordered and how we see that kind of played out in the Our Father? Well, it starts out with, you know, hell or beer. First of all, it starts out with a relationship, Our Father, right? Yeah. And, um, and so the Trinity is a relationship of persons, and we exist in relationship with other people. You know, man is created to be in a relationship. So first of all, it's the first thing that happens. I'm, I, I, I'm in a relationship here. And hallowed be your name, which is the praise and glory of God, is, if you will, the end of all creation. All creation is ordered towards the praise and glory of God. And in heaven, we will find our greatest joy in giving God you know, praise and glory. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know, your kingdom come. So then... The next thing that we're asking for, in a certain sense, is for um, God's kingdom to reign um, primarily, interestingly, at least according, is, is in our heart. You know, I want your kingdom, Lord, to be in my heart. That's what it, when Jesus said, the kingdom of God is already in your midst, that's what he was talking about. It's already reigning in people's hearts where you have um, conquered sin and death in your heart through the grace given to you by Jesus Christ, right? So your kingdom come, let your kingdom reign in my heart. Um, that guarantees my salvation, right? Um, and then obviously because of that, your will be done. And then that interesting line, give us today our daily bread. You know, that, that word daily in Greek is a word that just doesn't, it's an interesting Greek word that doesn't really exist anywhere else. Um, sometimes it's translated as super substantial bread. You know, so it's, you know, give us this day our, the Eucharist, if you will, um, which we're going to daily um, feed on. It's interesting, people have said that the Our Father that's in Matthew's Gospel, you know, in Luke's, the Our Father's a little bit more complicated, right. uh, a little bit simpler. And they say that the Our Father in Luke's Gospel is actually was put in the Gospel from a liturgical text that the early Christians were using. So it's, it's not so much that we get the Our Father from the liturgy from, from Matthew's Gospel as much as Matthew put into his Gospel the Our Father that was being used in the, in the liturgy of, of his day. So, and the early liturgy was in Greek because it was a, a Greek-speaking world at the time. And so it it's, could easily be a reference to the Eucharist, give us the day our daily bread. And then our Lord has told us more than once in Scripture that if we don't forgive others, our Heavenly Father will not forgive us. So forgive us our debts as we forgive, you know, our debtors. And then lead us not into temptation, which is an interesting line. You know, why would God lead us into temptation? And so 
what, what, what we're really asking for is for God right there to protect us from our own evil desires that we have still lurking within our heart. And so really protect us from, you know, being put in a situation where my desires are going to overtake me. You know, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Which is really the only enemy that we should have. Um, St. Osemir is big on that. A Christian's only enemy is the devil. Mm. Everybody else is a friend we should be making. Talking with Father Eric Nielsen today here on The Inner Life, looking at the prayer, the Our Father, and we're going to take a little more time coming up in just a moment to dive a little deeper into some of those things. You know, Father just uh, Father Eric walked us through kind of a very brief overview of what we're praying there. Maybe you have a question about one of those lines. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Eric. Or how did you come to understand better what you really are praying in the Our Father. We'd love to hear what has made that difference in your life when you when you truly started praying it, not just reciting words, but understanding what you are praying. And how has that changed your life? How has that deepened, enhanced your relationship with God? That very first part, understanding that when we're addressing God as Our Father, it's relational, that Father Eric was just saying. Our phone number to call in and speak with Father Eric is 888-914-9149, You can email us, at relevantradio.com, and we'll be right back in just a moment. Thanks for being here with us. Stay with me. I'll, I'll uh, follow up with Father Eric in just a moment. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. Inner Life, thanks for joining us here for this hour as we look at the prayer that Jesus taught us, the Our Father. And you're welcome to call in with if you have a question about the prayer, if you'd like to talk with Father Eric Nielsen, our spiritual director, the phone number into the studio, 888-914-9149. Father Eric is the pastor of the St. Paul University Catholic Center on the campus of the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And again, talking about the Our Father, uh, really quickly, Father, you'd kind of walked us through some of the things that we are saying when we pray the Our Father. But I'd like to take a little time here and be able to walk through some of these different aspects um, that, that you talked about so briefly and allow you to maybe elaborate on some of those. The first thing that you said, the addressing God, calling God as our Father, it establishes right from the outset that we are in a relationship with God. If we acknowledge him as our father, it means that we are his children, his sons and daughters. But how do we know if we really are a son or a daughter of God? You know, what what are some of the ways that we can look at our own lives and say, okay, yeah, this isn't, I, I'm not I'm not fooling myself here that, you know, I don't have that relationship. I really am a son or a daughter of God. 
You know, that is a great question, Josh. You know, how do I know that? You know, and the question is, um, there's one way to know it. I guess maybe another question would be, am I living as a son or daughter of God? So, excuse me. <coughs> um, you know, we read in the Gospel of John, it starts right away, to all who receive Jesus, who believe in his name, Jesus gave the power to become children of God. So we receive that power at baptism. So every baptized person, Catholic or not, anybody who's baptized in the Trinity has become a beloved son or daughter of God. That is who you are. You know, Paul, or Paul talks about, you know, God has given us the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. So this is what we are by baptism. So that's, we should intellectually just know that. Now, the question is now, do I live as a son or daughter of God? Do, do I live really believing that I have a loving Father who knows me, wants me to be in heaven with him, who wants to guide my life, who wants to protect me, who wants to ensure that I'm, um, in a sense, not so much receiving all the good that I need because, you know, God, in a sense, is always giving us the good that we need. You know, we, we can't really help it. You know, God's just a gracious God. He's going to be give us what we need. The real gift, in a certain sense, the way I look at it, is do I realize that these things are gifts from God? Do I live with the security and the peace that comes from knowing I am in relationship with the Father God? Do I feel, do I have the joy of knowing that I'm a beloved Son or, um, Son of God? So this is, this is really what we're trying to do. And if you can handle adversity with peace, um, if you can find joy in the difficulties that come up every day, um, if you're capable of seeing the trials that exist in the world without getting depressed or, um, you know, overly um, dark about it and sarcastic and bitter, um, then you're living as a, as, as a son of God. Um, if you have the, the ability to get out of yourself, to sacrifice yourself for others, I mean, like you take, for example, the, the, the war in Ukraine. A son of God is concerned about that because we're concerned about all people. We're praying for the people in Ukraine. You know, we do what we can. But at the same time, I don't go to bed distraught that the world is ending because, you know, Russia's at war in Ukraine. Right. And, you know, I'm living as a, as a, as a son of God. Uh, Father, let's look at that next line, hallowed be thy name. And... Uh, when we talk about holiness, when we talk about the sacredness of God's name, I kind of wonder, do we in our current, our contemporary culture, do we understand what it means for something to actually be holy, to be sacred? Or have we, are, are we at a point as a human collective that we just don't really have anything that remains holy or sacred anymore. Everything else around us seems to not smack of, of anything that is, uh, you know, that, that is that elevated kind of space for us. You know, people, and, and, and you can point to all kinds of things in society, so it makes me wonder, do we, are we able to capture what we really mean when we talk about hallowed be thy name? Yeah, I would say that you're, your average animist living in the middle of the Congo, you know, has a much greater understanding of the sacred than your average Catholic. The, the Western world has sucked the transcendent out of um, our existence. We just don't think of things as sacred anymore. 
You know, it's interesting when the ark was being brought into Jerusalem, um, Uriah reached out to steady the ark because it was going to tip off the wagon, and God struck him dead because he wasn't a priest. Right. And you know, and and I think that's that's one of the things with the latest Jews of communion. You know, I mean, there's nothing sinful about the way people distribute communion. There's nothing sinful about it at all. It's a perfect, you know. But at the same time, when lay people distribute communion, suddenly we lose the idea that the Eucharist is sacred because a priest is a sacred person. And what we mean by sacred in that regard is set apart. Set apart to do something sacred. Well, in order to protect the sacredness of God and the holiness of his name, it helps to have sacred people that deal with God. And, you know, sacred articles that are only used for his worship. And that's just kind of been totally taken apart in our culture. So we have a, a radical egalitarianism that uh, just refuses to acknowledge anything as sacred. And so we have to fight against that, you know, in our churches. Um, even I'm just, I, uh, one thing that I've done, I don't just to go on my own little thing here, Josh, is I just will not allow wedding pictures anymore after a wedding in the church. I just won't allow it. You know, the church is not a place, you know, it's not a studio. You know, it just all those people just lined up on the altar taking, you know, 20, 20 different pictures of the family and, you know, 15 different arrangements. You know, it's just not a studio because I'm just trying to preserve the sacredness of the space and by preserving the sacredness of the space and preserving the sacredness of God. So, yeah, I'm with you 100%. We, we've got to get back to the sacredness of God. I had a young woman come up to me and she says, and um, she's like this, you know, she says, Father, I really understand God's mercy, but I, I really don't understand his justice at all. <laughs> and sometimes we can kind of fall into that too, you know, where we just... You know, we've just reduced God to just a very um, cuddly, warm guy who always wants to make us happy. Right. And so, you know, then his mercy doesn't mean anything anymore. You know, then then his mercy is kind of trivialized. Um, and so we, we have to hold both of those things, you know, in their proper context. Sure. The greatness of God and the mercy of God. Father, let's go to the phones. Uh, got Joshua calling in, listening in Houston, and he has a question about this portion of the prayer, Hallowed Be Thy Name. Joshua, welcome to The Inner Life. What's your question for Father Eric? Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, you know, in my daily conversation, I'd say 75%, you know, inside the church, outside the church, uh, my in, within my interactions, you know, I hear people using the Lord's name in vain instead of, oh, my goodness, you know, it's, there's, oh, oh my, right, uh, gee, you know, and, you know, I've had an incredible conversion experience, but I, I don't know how to, am I being asked to correct every person? I feel like my ears have become attuned to just the society. It's it's upside down, uh, and I don't know how to, res- you know, I'm trying to respond with charity, but a lot of people I don't have rapport with right and i've talked to the priest about it you know and they uh so that, that, that that's that's my question yeah i would say you got good instincts there you know you don't want to be the um the um you know verbiage um police and first of all whenever you hear anybody use our lord's name in vain interiorly you should always do you can always do an act of reparation you know just say to yourself you know lord hallowed be your name or saying hail mary and our father in reparation for that little act of blasphemy. And then secondly, you have to tell yourself that that person doesn't know any better 
they picked up a habit, they don't even know what they're saying, so as not to, you know, judge them harshly and look down on them, you know, just make an excuse for what they're doing. And I think once you do develop a rapport with them, you know, over time they should realize that you're a Christian and that you're, you're uncomfortable with that. And if they don't, I think it's okay to point it out to them and say, look, you know, I just would appreciate it if you didn't use um, the, 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 person, the, the God I worshiped, that you wouldn't use his name, you know, in a derogatory or a trivial way. Because just like you could say that if you, if you know he was using your mother's name like that, you know, if the guy had some swear word that incorporated your mother's name and you'd say, hey, look, I just want you to know that's my mom's name and I'd rather not use that, you know. I think most people would be reasonable about that. But uh, I just wouldn't go about doing it randomly. <laughs> Good question. Thanks for calling in, Joshua. And uh, Father, let, let's keep on looking at some of these different petitions. Again, talking about the prayer, the Our Father, the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples and by extension taught us how to pray. And talking today with Father Eric Nielsen about what we really mean when we pray that prayer. Maybe you have a question about a portion of the Our Father. You're welcome to call in 888-914-9149, And uh, Father, coming to that part, thy kingdom come uh, here, you had said, you know, we're really asking for God's kingdom to reign in our hearts. You know, that's that's the thing that we're asking for here. Uh, the other thing that comes to my mind is when Jesus starts to, when the Gospels, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, when they talk about him going out and starting to proclaim the Gospel message, his words are, the kingdom of God is at hand. And I guess we could look at this in a couple of different ways, but when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, what do you what do you think is being said there, and how do we understand the kingdom of God is at hand, and how we really can invite God's kingdom to be there in our heart? You know, it's uh, I heard something. I was at the Sea Conference put on by Focus, and I heard someone get up there and give a talk that when sailors. They have reports that the sailors sailing back from the Mediterranean to Greece um, were distraught because they at all had a vision of the god Pan, you know, being killed and destroyed. And so, you know, and then our Lord said, you know, I saw Satan fall like lightning from the sky, you know, and so it, it's it's, a, it's really true that when our Lord started to walk the, the earth, and especially after the crucifixion and resurrection. You know, the devil, who had pretty much had control of a vast swath of humanity, you know, his power was greatly diminished. And so in a very general way, your kingdom come as a prayer for that power of God's kingdom to extend on this earth. And that is true, you know, cities where people are praying, where there is, um, you know, more holy people praying and offering up prayer to God, you know, just generally, it's a better place to live. You know, crime decreases. You know, um, crops around holy monasteries grow better. And so we're asking for God's kingdom just to come in that general extended extended way. But when our Lord said, thy kingdom come, he wanted it to exist in people's hearts right there. That's what he's asking for. Mm-hmm. May the kingdom of God start to live in these people's hearts. And, um, and you know, that's where... You know, the world is not going to change because of some great political system. The world is always going to be made up of, of dark balls and light balls. And, you know, if you, if you think of all, if you think of a tub with a bunch of balls in it, 
It's got dark balls and light balls. And we want, every Christian's like a, a, little, a little white ball, a little white light. And we, the way the world changes is by people just converting to Christ. That's what makes the world good, not by some great political system. So your kingdom come. Let's get as many people in the kingdom as possible. That'll make the world as good as it can be. Yeah. Well, and then don't shy away from standing as that brightness in a dark world. You know, that's what Jesus says. What good does it do if you have a light and you put it under a bushel basket? You know, no, you would never do that. You'd put it on a lampstand so that it it brings light to the entire house. And so, um, you know, while that people accomplish that in different ways, let your faith be shown in your actions and what you do. Again, talking with Father Eric Nielsen here today about the Our Father, the prayer that Jesus taught us, and our phone number here into the studio, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Back in just a moment as we continue to walk through the different portions of this prayer, and uh, we'll take more of your phone calls coming up next as well, 888-914-9149. You're listening to Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. This hour is sponsored by St. Gregory Recovery Center, helping you or a loved one live a substance-free life. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Gregory. Continuing our conversation here today, looking at the Our Father here on The Inner Life. I'm Josh Raymond, speaking today with Father Eric Nielsen, the pastor of the St. Paul University Catholic Center on the campus of the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And if you've joined us late, if you want to go back and hear any part of what Father Eric has talked about earlier in the hour, of course, the podcast, it'll be posted After the live broadcast ends here, and you can find the podcast at RelevantRadio.com or through the Relevant Radio app. If you have not downloaded the Relevant Radio app, I highly suggest you go and do that. Find it on your mobile device's app store. It's absolutely free. And not only can you listen to the live broadcast, not only can you find those podcasts, there's so many other resources on there. Um, A lot of uh, just prayer and faith resources that you'll find there. Uh, it's, It's got so many hidden treasures that I know you'll appreciate and be able to use in your own life. Uh, again, our phone number here, if you'd like to call in and speak with Father Eric, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com. Uh, so, Father, we're kind of at the point where we have said, uh, thy kingdom come, and then we say, thy will be done, which, you know, it has kind of this nice cadence, this nice rhythm as we're praying it. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That one, to me, you know, not only does it kind of lead into the uh, acknowledgement that we're going to get to here in a little bit of forgive us our sins, forgive us our trespasses, because it kind of equates to not only do I want to see your will done here on earth as it is in heaven, but if I make it very personal, I'm talking about that I am turning away from sin, the struggle that I have in my life to follow you because I want your will to be done in my life. And that also then implies obedience to God. And that, that's <laughs> the obedience is kind of a, a tough one in Father. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the, um, if you want to get to heaven, that's the number one um, route to take is all the, you know, all the, that's why you join a religious order. You know, the devil lost his standing in heaven through disobedience and Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden through their disobedience. And our Lord gave us that example, you know, Heavenly Father, let this cup pass by me, but your will be done. And so did Our Lady with her fiat, you know, let it be done in me according to thy word. And so that's really the goal of our life is just to follow the will of the Heavenly Father. And so thy will be done, you know, give me that grace to um, follow your will. And in a general way, you know, may other people in this world, you know, follow your your will as, as well. And as, you know, lead us not into temptation, you know, the thing is, we're not going to grow spiritually without temptation. Um, we're, we're, we're going to be tempted. And we don't want our Lord to allow us to fall to fall into temptation, to let go of us, which if we're not praying to stay within his will, you know, he'll allow us just to go our separate ways. Um, just like, you know, as you do, Josh, with a child that you kind of warn a little bit, and then they just refuse to listen. So maybe you kind of let them fall on their face a little bit in order for them to uh, to learn something. So if God allows us to fall into temptations for that reason, um, but um, we'd rather not go there. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, absolutely. Uh, we're down to our last 10 minutes, so I want to make sure we're able to get through all the different petitions that we have here in the Our Father. Give us this day our daily bread. You You made reference that this can be talking about our physical needs, but we can also be talking about that supernatural bread. That's the word you use, supernatural, understanding that this could be also talking about, and, and is talking about, the Eucharist here. Um, you know, but more than just physical food or spiritual food, I mean, we're really talking about all the things that we need, but I, I think it's also important to look and say, we ask for this day, you know, give us this day our daily bread. We're not asking everything that we need for next month, next year, the next 20 years. And it's very reminiscent of the Israelites when they're wandering in the wilderness and God is providing that daily manna and he only gives them what they need, probably for many reasons, but most of all, you know, just to have us again trust God, to have that reliance on him, not be uh, duped by our own pride saying, oh, look, I can take care of myself. Yeah, I think, and um, you, um, I think, Josh, you make up a, a good point with, you know, give us this day. Um, we're not asking our Lord to give us things that we need, you know, four days from now. You know, and sometimes people want to get all the money they need for the entire journey um, or all the grace they need for the entire journey. You know, our God gives us the grace we need for that day. And, um, you know, if we need to be a martyr 10 years down the road, well, it'll give us that grace to be a martyr 10 years from now. And so... A lot of times, you know, so we just have to trust that, you know, he'll give us the grace that we need to get through this day. And then tomorrow, if we ask, we'll, we'll get the grace to get through the next day. But we shouldn't expect to be given it all, you know, up front so we feel nice and prepared for the next, you know, 10 years of our life. Yeah, but I like security. <laughs> it is nice to know that things are going to be taken care of. But, I, you know, I mean, that goes to a different part of what Jesus teaches us. You know, do the birds of the field, you know, do they sow and reap? Do, you know, the, the flowers of the field look at their adorned more beautifully than King Solomon in all of his splendor. And so don't worry saying, 
you know, what shall we eat or what shall we drink tomorrow or what shall we wear? Your Father knows what you need. Just seek his kingdom first. And then mm-hmm. all those other things are going to be taken care of. But that that's a, t- that's a tough one because it means you have to have that trust. And, you know, we, we like to be in control or we like to at least tell ourselves we're in control. Yeah, I mean, what uh, St. Um, Teresa of Avila says, you know, we, we only know ready cash. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't like to know that we're gonna, it's going to come down the, down the road. Yeah, we want to be in control. We want it all planned out. We want to see, the, we wanna see the, how all the score is going to end. And um, that's not what our Lord gives us, you know. So we, we gotta, just got to live in the moment. You know, we all want to canoe down a placid lake. And that's not the way life is. Life is you and a canoe going down the Colorado River. You don't know where that river is going to turn. You don't know the twists. And you don't know the boulders. And your job is just to keep control of the canoe. And that's the control of your affections and your emotions and your intellect and your heart. You know, that's, that's what you control by God's grace. You know, your response to the world. But what happens outside of you, well, that's, you know, God, we, we, we give that over to God's providence. The next petition here, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. This is the one part of the prayer that Jesus then clarifies after we are done praying, saying, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. If you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your transgressions. It it just seems that this must be so important to Jesus. There's so many other things. I mean, we've we've spent almost an hour now talking about this prayer, Father, but this is the one thing he wants to make sure that you understand that you have clarity on, and that should that should make us stop and take note here. Yeah, he kind of doubles down on that, doesn't he? You know, it's like, boom, let's, let's uh, just say that again in case you missed it the first time. And, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, mercy is God's in a certain certain sense God's greatest attribute and we want to have that same mercy the mercy that we give to others will be given to us and you know without mercy we will be held out of heaven and so we want to forgive everybody that's ever affronted us from our heart realizing that we've offended God far more than anybody could ever offended us and so there's so many references of that in scripture and the easiest way for us to do that is to you know it's, it's in the Our Father for a reason, because in order to do that, we need God's grace. We, we need his help. We, we're just not going to be able to do that on our own. And while there's a lot of um, good things out there on the Internet on how to forgive, um, which are very beneficial for people, um, it, at, at the very root of it is a grace given to you by God. And so we ask for it. And so give us, you know. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, it, it sounds like a dec- declaratory sentence, but it, behind it is a petition, you know, to have, to have the grace to be able to do that. Right. Well, and God's not asking us to do anything he's not willing to do himself. He's not going to hold a grudge. Um, he's, going, he's, yeah. he's ready and willing to forgive us as long as we are willing to do the same thing in our lives, forgive those who trespass against us. Father... Uh, all right, we're here to probably the most confusing line of the prayer in, in our last few minutes here. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And you made real brief reference to this earlier in the hour, but how do we understand what we really are praying here when we say, deliver us from evil, lead us not into temptation? If God is all good, 
how does he how would he ever lead us into temptation yeah and so the, the thing that's going to happen so we're surrounded by by evil and difficulties and we need that you know or our heart we, we have to prove our love for god in a certain sense in this life our, our life our life is a test and we're tested by adversity and we're tested by temptation you know saint paul even says you know rejoice when you're you're tempted um, but with every temptation, God will give you a way out. You will not be tempted, you know, beyond your ability to resist that temptation. But at the same time, God gives us grace, if you will, in order to deal with these difficulties in life. But if we turn away from God and we don't ask for the grace, and if we're belligerent and consist in certain, you know, bad practices, you know, God will allow us to fall into temptation you know, to fall into these difficulties. And, and so this prayer is, is, is a prayer recognizing our weaknesses and saying, Lord, you know, I need help from you in order to resist the temptation that's out there. So don't lead me into this um, because of my belligerence. You know, help me stay pure and recognize, you know, how best not to put myself in the close proximity of sin and to, um, you know, which we say when we go to confession, you know, and so that's that's what that prayer means. Um, There's also uh, certain translations of the gospel where you'll see a little doxology that's added at the end. That also is added into the Mass where we pray it. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Um, not necessarily part of the original text, but it is something that, of course, doesn't you know cause any problems. Uh, any thoughts on that kind of rounding out the, the 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 Our Father when we pray it? Yeah, again, that was as I mentioned earlier in the program. The um, the, the Our Father in Matthew's Gospel. It seems as if it's a liturgical text that Matthew puts in there that the early Christians were saying that Our Father in their liturgy. And along with that liturgical text was the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. And so that was not a part of the, um, that must have been added somewhere later on in the liturgy and very early in the, in the Christian faith. And so as people were writing Matthew's gospel, some um, copyists just added that added into it. Matthew's gospel right. and it made its way into scripture. So there, there's nothing you know wrong with it. We say it at Mass, and if you want to add it, you know, there's nothing against it, but it doesn't seem to be the original. Well, um, Father, there's so much so much that we got here, too, and plenty more to unpack, uh, but we are at the end of the hour, about 20 seconds. Could I ask you to offer a blessing for our listeners? Sure. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we ask in your mercy that you would send your grace into our hearts, that every time we recite the Our Father, we'll grow deeper in our relationship um, to you and our understanding that we are beloved sons and daughters. And we ask this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Father Eric, thanks so much for being with us here today. And thank you for listening. Stay tuned. Mass starts right now on Relevant Radio.